begins with them. Amen? Awesome to see it. Awesome to see it. The word charge. When I say the word charge, what do you think of? When I think of the word charge, I think about an accusation. That is, someone has committed a crime and they are being accused of doing it. Right? There's evidence that points to the fact that a crime has been committed and someone sees that evidence and brings up a charge against them. Another way to think of a charge is um, a form of payment. Switching gears a little bit. I remember as a kid not having any idea the value of the dollar. Some of the parents said amen about their kids. Not having any idea about the value of the dollar, when I would ask for something, my mom would say, I don't have the money, and I would say, don't worry about it, just charge it. Some of you are understanding me now for the first time, right? Come on, you're all doing it too. That's why you're silent and uncomfortable. You're charging it, right? There's a charge, like an accusation. There's a charge on your credit card when you don't seem to have the cash in your pocket. Charge. Switching gears again, there's another kind of charge that I think is more pertinent to our purposes this morning. It's a charge that comes in the form of a command. Right? It's, it's, a, it's an entrusting of a responsibility from one individual to another individual or a group of people. Right? It's like at a wedding. We're on a historic occasion. Husband and wife come together and they make covenant vows. And the minister will what? Charge them. They will entrust to, he will entrust to the husband a particular set of responsibilities and duties that come with being a husband. At the same time, he will charge, entrust a responsibility and a duty to the wife in keeping with what marriage is and this historic moment. This is also often done when a minister, whether we agree with it or not, is ordained to ministry. There's a minister who is ordained speaking to a minister that is about to be ordained, and there's a very direct call, a setting forth of a responsibility from one minister to the one who's up for ordination. So there's a charge, there's a, there's a command, there's a, a duty, there's a responsibility that's set forth from one person to another person or another group of people. Are you tracking with me? Good, because that's what today is really about. Today, we're giving you a charge. Yes, it is a sermon. Yes, we are turning to the Scriptures. But as we look at the last quarter and back even further into our existence as a congregation, and as we look back even farther to the mighty act of God, His work in our lives, there is now, because of that, a 
setting forth of a calling, an expectation that is laid before us. Today, I want to share on behalf of the elders something that has really been on our heart for our people. Something that can really define for us the next season of ministry. And by the way, it won't be much new stuff, right? Because what we're called to do, who we are, has been and always will be pretty much the same. We're God's people. We're God's church in a particular place. And so in many ways, this charge will be a reminder. A reminder of what you already know, but maybe have forgotten. Maybe need readjustment in. Maybe a different emphasis today for our congregation than seasons prior. So today, you will hear a charge, a very direct call through myself from the Scriptures about what we're called to do as a body. Are you ready? For lunch? Are you ready for your charge? All right. Romans chapter 12, verse 9 through 14. Open your Bibles. We're a Bible church. Man, that's a good starting point. Grab your Bible. Open it up. If you don't have one, we would love to give you one for free today. So please see one of us after the service. We'd love to put one in your hand. Otherwise, feel free to follow along uh, on the screens as we will project the Scriptures. Our charge today, Paul's charge to the church in Rome. He says this, verses 9 through 13 in the 12th chapter. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints. And seek to show hospitality. This is the word of the Lord. And all of God's people said, Amen. This is Paul's charge to the church in Rome. He's giving them a number of commands, right? Charges. This is what you are to do. This is how you are to live. But while it may look for us like just a list, which indeed it is, a list of things they are called to do, we have to be very careful that we just look at this charge in isolation. Because I don't want to give in any way, shape, or form in my charge or in any understanding of Paul's charge to Rome, the idea that this charge isn't baseless. 
that isn't, there aren't uh, very crucial foundations that come to any sort of expectation, any sort of duty that's to come of these Christians in Rome. Or any set of foundations or, 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 or actions prior to the actions that are called upon that are foundational. Okay? So we turn back in the Word. And we see that verse 1 says, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, of chapter 12, I'm sorry, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. So Paul is pleading. He's making a charge on the basis of some action of God. God has done something transformational in human history and in the world, and that is the very basis and foundation for any action on your part. We have to root our charge in the change that God has caused in human history. Don't miss that. Don't miss that. Look at what he says, verse 3, as he's commanding the Romans, for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly than himself. You see, Paul's charge to the Romans, our charge to renovation today, is yes, it is a calling, it is a command, it is a yes, this is how we are to live. But oh, please don't miss the fact that it is rooted in the gospel, the good news of what Jesus has done in the world for sinners. You see, chapter 12 is penned after chapters 1 through 11. So any gospel calling is rooted in gospel provision. Amen? When God calls us to do something, it's appropriate because it's in, in response to and empowered by His very provision. His Son. You see, earlier on in Romans, Paul spoke very frankly, very bluntly, about the reality of human sin. That Jew and Gentile all stand before the living God unrighteous in sin. That is the human predicament. That's the bad news. That we all are in sin. We all commit sins and we all are in sin. But we see that in chapter 3, towards the end of it, that God has provided righteousness in His Son. It's not through trying really hard through the law to, to figure it out. It's not just try hard, do good, and become better someday, thus making God somewhat happy. But that the gospel is that Jesus has done what no human being could ever do. He lived a perfect, sinless life, and He gave Himself as a perfect, spotless sacrifice so that we could now receive the gift of righteousness. That we no longer, looking at chapters 4, 5, 6, 7, and 8, we no longer need to be enslaved to sin. Some of you need to hear that this morning. That the work of Christ means that you are no longer needing to be enslaved to sin. But that God, through Christ, has gained the victory over sin. Now we're slaves to righteousness. 
not to no longer walk in the flesh, but to live a life in keeping with the indwelling spirit that prompts within us new desires and new behaviors befitting of the change that Christ is securing for us. Someone say amen. Can we hear enough of this? Am I just ranting and raving? Or am I bringing truth today? That that's what God has done in the world through Jesus. In view of the mercies of God. See, he poured it out undeservedly, freely, to people like us. Who deserved wrath. But received mercy through Jesus Christ. In view of those mercies. See, a work like that affects a change of radical proportions. We don't hear of a work like that. We don't have a work like that applied to our life, and it does nothing. Some of you need to hear that. That when that truth is applied and embraced and relied upon by faith, that that has a radical change that happens in our life. It's an It's an immediate change of our position before God. We stand before God righteous. And it also has an ongoing change. That this this mercy of God continues to change who we are day by day. As we battle against the flesh. And God continues to gain victory in our lives. This is the gospel. This is what Christ has done. And it's on this basis that Paul can say, listen... On the basis of the grace I've received, and on the basis of the the mercy that I've seen in the gospel, we are called to live a particular way, empowered by the Spirit. And so we as elders sat around a, a, a living room this week thinking about our congregation, where we've come from, where we are, where we are headed. We could not help but think about these two things. Primarily, that we would be a biblically faithful congregation. Even the way we're approaching this says that the scriptures each week are our authority. The scriptures are our food. Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. The church doesn't live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. That we are a Bible, the word of, let me say it differently, the Bible has made us who we are. The word of God has created us, and the word of God will sustain us as a people. So as we look ahead, we want to continue to be a people that our worship and our formation and our discipleship and our leadership development, and our mission in this community is always filtered through the authority and the truth of God's revealed word in the scriptures. How we worship together, how we do life together, how we reach this community. Let the scriptures be our guide. And may we increasingly become a people faithful to the word of God. What else could we want? for our people than a desire for them to be faithful to the word of God. That is our heart for you. That is our heart for us. That we would continue to turn those pages. We would continue to underline those phrases. That we would continue to ingest the word of God into our hearts and our souls so that we might over time become even more 
faithful to the Word of God. May we be a biblically faithful church. But again, lest we become a church that just reads the Bible and manipulates behavior to conform to it. May we see that the the other side of the coin of that is a biblically faithful but gospel responsive, right? That when we hear the gospel, when we read the gospel, when we preach the gospel, when we guess what we do? We respond to it. It's not falling on deaf ears. It is changing us. That we're rejoicing in it. We're repenting of sin in turning to the truth of it. So we are biblically faithful and we are gospel responsive. That's all we want. Hear the gospel, respond to the gospel. In view of the mercy of God, by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, that's our heart for Renovation Church. Biblical fidelity, gospel responsiveness. And here's the thing. This is exactly what Paul has laid out for the Romans. And he begins to articulate for them at least in this particular passage, you could say the next four, three or four chapters, what biblical fidelity and what gospel responsiveness looks like. That is, when we are faithful to keeping God's word and we are faithful to responding to God's good news in Jesus Christ, this is the kind of life that these people will live. This will be the appropriate response to that kind of mercy and grace. He says, let love be genuine. He says, verse 10, love one another with a brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. May your love for one another lack pretense. There's no show you're putting on, Renovation. No one here likes a religious show. No one here wants to put on a religious show. Nobody wants the cute Sunday morning smile. Ting! I got too much coffee for the ting. No, let your love be real for one another. Let it be sincere. Not just a Sunday morning handshake. But let your love be sincere. Love one another with what? Brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. All those phrases. Really, if you wrap them all up and package them, what you're seeing is that Paul's expectation for the church at Rome is that they treat each other like family. Covenantal language. Commitment, no matter what. I'm committed to you, you're committed to me. Renovation Church, we are called because of the gospel to be a people that look at one another and say, you're my brother, you're my sister, we're family. We're committed to one another through thick and thin, no matter what. Even your sinning against me will not cause me to abandon you. Even when I'm exhausted and I don't have the time to listen, Guess what? The gospel gives me the desire and the capacity 
to handle your burdens. I'm committed to you like a family. And the truth is, this is one of the things that we have seen so wonderfully at our congregation. When people visit our church, that's what they say they see. So praise the Lord for how He's already worked this kind of posture in your relationship to one another. Loving one another in covenantal form as a family. See, I think that's important. That we continue to relate to one another as family. But understand this, not the family style church that we've talked, that we've maybe experienced where you're either in or you're out. You see, this kind of family is one that always has an open door. There's always room for more siblings in the family. Right? That our eyes and our ears are always on those who do not know or experience this kind of love. The very love that we have received from the Father. We're to love one another with a sincere love that is constantly loving others with a brotherly affection. That's what the gospel does in us, doesn't it? If we have received love from God, how are we to relate to one another with that very same love that we have received? says, goes on to say, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. You see, in our love, we have to understand, as Leon Morris says, that love is, is not one that has sentimentality. Again, back to the cute smile that's ignoring the real issues in our lives. But to truly love someone is to hate evil, is to hate sin, to not allow it. To not be satisfied with its presence in the midst of the community. The true love abhors evil and clings to what is good. The idea of abhorring is like it's repugnant. Like you think of a magnet that every time the believer gets near uh, sin or sin comes near the believer, the believer just moves away. It, it, it's repugnant. It, 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 it's repulsive to the believer. That when we see sin in the community, that it repulses us. That holiness is a commitment that we share together. And if you turn the page to chapter 13, the end, verses 8 through 10 talk about loving one another. Verses 11 through 14 talk about this. Put on the Lord Jesus, make no provision for the flesh. There is this connection in the teaching of Paul. Loving one another and hating sin. To love one another is to rid yourselves of the presence and power of sin. So there's no sentimentality in love. In our community, as we engage the Word of God together, as we look at the Gospel, guess what it does? That's exactly what it does. It purges evil from our midst. That we are a people passionate about our sanctification. We're willing to share our struggles with one another. Missional community, small groups, formation groups. They're not just there to take up time in your schedule and to drive you crazy. They're not just there to give you a false sense of righteousness if you go to them. They're there because 
Hebrews 3 says that we, when we are separate from other people in the faith, that we are so prone to deception. Literally, that sin has a way of deceiving us and leading us away into a heart of unbelief, Hebrews 3 says. So that we find ourselves casually connected or inconsistently engaged with other people, purposefully orienting our lives around the gospel and asking the difficult questions about our walk with God, we are literally opening up a door for sin to enter and our heart to be full of unbelief. That's what's at stake when we are disengaged with the people of God. Your heart and unbelief seeping into it. Seeping into it. So we don't want anyone just going to church. We don't want anyone just going to missional community. Going through the motions. That's not our heart for us. But man, we want everyone to guess what? To not be led away by sin to an unbelieving heart. That's what's at stake when it comes to our community. Loving one another. Hating evil. Clinging to what is good. That's what's at stake when we busy ourselves to death and we find ourselves consistently unconnected to biblical community. An unbelieving heart. And so we, we implore you. We charge you to have a repulsion to evil and to cling to what is good. He says, do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Don't get lazy in your passion. Right? So often when we get in the midst of serving weekend, who's on this week? Talk about missional community, missional community. We can easily get in this like mundane drawl, right? Where it's like, right? Tell me you don't feel that sometimes? He's saying that, listen, don't get lazy in your passion for what you know is good and right in your community. Don't get lazy in your commitment to one another, in your passion. You've been transformed by the grace of Jesus. Don't lose that passion. Don't grow weary in doing what is good. Don't be lazy. Don't be a sloth. Don't be... It's like we always need to keep some sort of spiritual cup of coffee going. Right? But it's not that. Right? Don't be slothful in zeal. I love what he says. He says this, uh, be fervent in your spirit. Literally, boil over in your soul. So you can imagine a pot on a stove being turned up and down. Right? He's saying, keep that spiritual temperature gauge at full blast at all times in the deepest part of who you are. Be fervent in spirit. Some of us are simmering even this morning. Just kind of just there. Slow evaporation. Right? But we, he's saying, boil over. Be fervent in your spirit. Right? Don't let that temperature go down. No cooling off in your spirit. And he says, serve the Lord. 
So we are a people called to serve the Lord with great fervency. So that's our charge to you. Be passionate. Serve the Lord. Right? And the question becomes for me, how is it that you maintain that spiritual fervency? Right here. Consistent, disciplined time in the Word of God. That's your food. That's your drink. Your prayer time. Consistent prayer with God. Pursuit of God. That's where you drink. That's where you eat. Right? You, you, we said in Psalm 23, it's you that what? You restore my soul. We cannot think for any way, shape, or form that we will sustain a spiritual fervency apart from regular, constant interaction with God's holy word. We're back to biblically faithful again. So we charge you, Reno, be in the word. Be in the word. It's your food, it's your drink. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. I think about all the circumstances that we have faced. Sickness, illness, parenting, marriages, financial issues, uh, unemployment, seasons of unemployment. We've walked through many things together in the last year. And we can't anticipate anything but... More of that, right? Trials, testing, seasons of challenge. And I think what we see here is Paul is saying together as you walk through those seasons that we're always rejoicing in the hope of the return of Christ. Right? We're always taking joy in our great hope, Jesus. Yeah, the temporal circumstances may get rough. And no one's here to be unsympathetic to what we are dealing with. But we are charged because it is a very real hope to rejoice in the hope of Christ. To be patient in the midst of tribulation. When we are having internal and external conflict in our faith. Because there's always a war being waged for our heart from our enemy. That we're patient. That we long suffer in the midst of very arduous seasons. Because we know God sees our circumstances and He loves us in our circumstances. And we can rejoice in hope and be patient. Let it have its perfect work in our lives, as James says. And be constant in prayer. I don't think there's ever been a time where I feel compelled more than I do now to stop all this silliness in ministry and just cry out to God. If your community is not being changed, if you don't see the baptisms that you long to see, if people aren't coming to faith in Christ, if marriages are falling apart, if finances are disrupted, if lives are in shambles, well, maybe we should do a six-week course on... Maybe we should pray. Amen? Maybe the time has come... For us to stop the silliness and start going to our knees in prayer. Now granted, 
this is something we have done as a church. I think we need to grow in it. Our prayer, in all that we do, prayer, crying out to God. Last, he says, verse 13, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. You know, people who are biblically faithful and gospel responsive, you know what they do? Because they know they have received all the blessings that are in Christ Jesus, you know what they do? You ready? They respond to need with generosity. What a measure of our heart before God, how we handle our resources. This is not a plea to make budget. This is a plea to respond to the generous God that we know with that same generosity. I charge Renovation Church, we enter, we together, the elders with you, to be a generous church in the face of need. Right? This is the nature of the God that we worship. He's generous. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. I think the last thing we see here is that while the Christian, the one who is biblically faithful and responding to the gospel, is one that's generous with their resources, the Christian is also very hospitable to the stranger. You see, you may read this and you may think, oh, that means I should have my buddies over all the time. You can do that. No one's saying don't have your buddies over. But don't misunderstand, that's not what that command is saying. Command is really getting at the biblical call of the Christian to have an open hand with his home to strangers. One might even say to the very people that are far from God. That your life, your time, your home is to be leveraged and intentionally, an intentional pursuit. Seek, seek it. Seek to show hospitality. Think of Usain Bolt in the Olympics, sprinting down that track. He is pursuing it. He is seeking with everything that he has the finish line. That's the kind of image that Paul gives us when he says, seek hospitality. Don't stumble upon it. Don't kind of waddle down the track in it. Sprint. Give it everything you've got. Orient and posture your whole life to opening up your home, spending time with those who are far from God. And even as we hear some of the testimonies, right? This is stuff that we have been talking about for years. And just simply reinforcing for each of us here today. A biblically faithful church. A church responding to the gospel. And really, in this passage, and thus, a people who are wholly devoted to one another. You've done this. You are this. We watch it every week, every single missional community meeting. Every time there's a need in our midst, we watch it. But what I'm 
encouraging you to do is to continue to pursue these very things. We, in many ways, we don't really need to do anything new, which in some ways goes against our church planting DNA, right? I mean, yes, we are planning and praying for future church plants, so don't mishear that statement. But I think in many ways, what the Lord is calling each and every one of us to, and this congregation, is a maturing in the things that we've already set out to do. Growing up. Maturity. May we be a biblically faithful church. May all that we do be filtered through the Holy Word of God. And may all that we do be not religious. Not some try hard, do better response to make God happy. No, but a responding to the gospel. And may we be a church that is visibly, tangibly, sincerely devoted to each other. That's the kind of community that the gospel creates, amen? So continue, move forward. You know, that's the other form of the charge, right? It's not just an accusation. It's not just a credit card swipe. It's not just a command to entrust a responsibility. But there is another sense where the general the great army points with his sword to his enemy and he yells what? Charge. In thinking about, about these things, we're asking you to move forward in this. Move ahead. Walk in faithfulness to the Word of God. Continue to talk about, revel in, study, sing about, pray about the good news of Christ. Continue in it. And continue. Move forward in your love and your devotion to each other. Can we do, is that a vision for the church? Maybe a little theoretical. But I think, what else would you want for the people of God than that? What else do you want for your children? Do you think about them that someday, yeah, it might be nice if they got a full ride to Syracuse to play basketball. Not North Carolina, Ben. It might be nice if they were, it might But I think parents, as they watch their kids sleeping at night, as they consider their ways, their vision for them is that someday they walk out of that home, bags packed, moving on to this world with this hope that these children are faithful to the Word of God, that they have heard and responded to the Gospel, and that they are devoted to the people of God. That's our hope 
for Renovation Church. That's our vision. We're going to hear more about that throughout the year, what that looks like. We're going to filter everything we do, formation, discipleship, developing new leaders, reaching this community, our worship services, how we sing and what we sing and how we take the Lord's table, who takes the Lord's table, just thinking about everything. What does the Scripture say? Baptism, our preaching, everything is submitted to the Word of God and is under the purview of the mercy of God in the Gospel. That is our firm commitment and that is our firm call on each and every one of us. May we be a biblically faithful, gospel-responsive, wholly devoted people at Renovation Church. Let's pray. Lord, these things may sound simple. These things could have further explanation. These things could be questioned and considered. There could be other passages we could have ran to. For all of Scripture is God-breathed. And yet you have led us here And I pray that Your Spirit would lead us forward. If there's anyone here today that needs to hear the mercy, the grace of Jesus Christ, I pray that they heard it today and they've responded with faith. And I know all of us here today Simply want to see you work in our church, work in our lives, work in our marriages, by your word, because of your gospel, to create this community to be a genuine one. We don't worship authenticity, but oh, may we have an authentic worship and love for you and for one another. In many ways, we're asking the Spirit to help us live the great commandment. To love God, to love neighbor, the way life was meant to be, and for God's people, the way life is. God, may these things be true, in Christ's name, amen.